0: From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki.
1: Welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today. We're continuing our series on collateral based or asset based lending. So, if you missed our show, uh, our last show, that is, with Mark Israel, a partner in Biltmore Loan and Jewelry, you'll certainly want to listen to that show on our archive. Now, on that show, we covered a variety of luxury assets he uses as collateral for loans and has recently started a web based store for selling some of those assets that the borrowers chose not to reclaim. Now, during that show, we also drew a parallel to pawn shops. And to make sure you heard me clearly, because that that word can be dangerous, let me spell pawn, P-A-W-N. I don't want you to think I was on a totally different topic. Clearly, the clients of pawn shops aren't usually affluent, and the assets they bring are not worth tens of thousands of dollars, as they would be with Biltmore Loan. But pawn shops are also asset-based lenders lending money to the borrower based on the goods or assets they bring as collateral. Now, if you're wondering what this has to do with you as a saver and or investor, trust me, there is an opportunity. Actually, a very big opportunity, and it doesn't require you to set up a retail location and store uh, those various collaterals uh, in in your location or warehouse or uh, basement or wherever. You may remember our show on March 28th when we asked you a basic but critical question. Are you ready for retirement? There are far fewer pensions than there there were two to three uh, decades ago. More responsibility for our retirement is on our shoulders. And with interest rates on government debt close to zero, even investors who have accumulated significant assets express a concern that those assets may not be sufficient to cover their costs. If they or their spouse live well into their 80s, 90s, or 100s, and of course, we want you to. I always say that this means that there's more responsibility for our retirement on our shoulders and I mean your shoulders, and ours here at Wealth DNA Radio Show. We clearly want your retirement to be a great one so you can focus on your family's health and happiness, since we plan to help you make sure you're wealthy and have the right insurance in place. And running out of money is not a concern. In other words, we plan to have you attain the financial holy grail, having income for life. That's why we share various investment strategies so you can pick which best fits your needs and risk tolerance. Frankly, what we'll cover in today's show just might be the key to achieving that financial holy grail for the largest number of our listeners. In other words, a very high percentage of the million people we help become millionaires will be due to the opportunities we cover today. So hopefully I have your attention. You realize you just may become an asset-based lender in the near future, just like Mark Israel, pawn shops or me. We don't have a guest joining us today, so it'll be a great opportunity for you and I to talk about how many investors working with BI Solutions Corp have achieved that financial holy grail. And we can cover enough examples for you to see how asset-based lending may just fit for you. And it has been a fit for me. Now, I have no ambitions of making this show comprehensive review of all aspects of asset-based lending, but we will be covering an awful lot. If I did try to make it a comprehensive review, it would be a much longer show. We wouldn't need to invite additional guests to cover those other aspects, just like Mark Israel did. Instead, I'll focus on using real estate as the collateral for loans, sharing examples of real transactions, and welcome your comments and questions. Now, whether you're on the U.S. West Coast or in Arizona, where I am, and you're sipping a cup of coffee, the U.S. East Coast, and you're getting ready for lunch, you're in Europe and ending your work day, you're somewhere in between or you're listening to the Archive of the Show, I'm sure you'll be glad you joined us for this hour. If you listen to the Archive of the Show in, let's say, 2026 or later, you'll be able to look back and see how this show could have helped you increase your wealth by listening in June of 2016 and taking advantage of some of the insights we'll cover today in this. Today and this whole series of shows, because we'll have several. And by the way, you'll also be able to see if some of the predictions I make today come true. On the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and providing great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. Today's no exception as we share ideas on how you could become an asset based lender and by doing so increase your investment returns while decreasing risk. An unusual situation. I like to start each show by sharing a quote to set the tone for show's topic. So here's one for today. The banks are not lending. At least from what I can see, they were so wild and reckless back in the good times, they got burned terribly. Let me repeat that quote. The banks are not lending, at least from what I see, they were so wild and reckless back in the good times, they got burned terribly. This quote is from Ben Stein. It's not one of my quotes, so uh, I'm going to rely on Ben Stein, to, uh, since he has an opinion similar to mine based on the data I see. Now, if you're wondering what that quote has to do with asset-based lending, in upcoming shows you'll see that banks are the largest players in asset-based lending. And thus, when the banks are lending freely, it's probably a good time for investors like you and I to decrease our lending. And when banks are lending very little, like now, it's a good time for investors to step in and do more lending. And I just looked at the chat window. It looks like that is all up and running. But if you put in a chat message, I will see it. But I'm not sure I'm logged in, which is interesting. So I may have a problem responding. That'll be interesting. Today is Monday, June 13, 2016. It is 9.06 in Arizona and 18.06 in continental Europe. It's the only day I ever like it. So we'll do everything possible to make a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at nine a.m. in Arizona. If you didn't receive a reminder of the shows, you should connect with us on Twitter or Facebook where we post reminders. Just connect with the Ronald put together as a single word. And of course, if you send me an email, I'll add you to the list as well. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, B.I. Solutions Corp., who I already mentioned, a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. And for the first time ever, we'll share real examples of investments some of our listeners did with B.I. Solutions help. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show like the several I mentioned already, you can find them in the archive. Just go to Wealth,DNA. Dot us where we list each of the shows both upcoming and archived now we welcome your comments and questions during the show as i mentioned there's a chat window below the radio player or you can call in and our producer will share your question or comment with us or you will put you on the air the call in number nine one seven three eight eight four one six two and if you go to our internet screen for the show it's also shown at the top now once you get to the show dial one to reach the producer since our last show, the U.S. equity markets are up about 2% and hovering just below the record set in May of 2015. Today, the U.S. markets are off to a negative start, but so far nothing like Asia, which was down 25 to 3.5%. Europe, which just closed, is down about 1%, and Brazil is down as well. Lots of red on the screen. As I mentioned, our topic today is asset-based lending in real estate. Let's start by defining asset-based lending or collateral-based lending, basically the same thing. A business loan secured by collateral or assets. A business loan secured by collateral or assets. Now, most of that brief definition is probably pretty obvious. Although one word may surprise you, a business loan. So technically, Biltmore Loan and pawn, pawn Shots aren't asset-based lenders under this definition. But let me come back to that point. I do think you and our other listeners will be better off sticking with this business loan definition if you'd like to do some asset-based lending. Now, does this imply there can't be personal loans backed by an asset like our car or a home? Uh, well, yes, uh, but it'd be it would be better to say that a car loan is first and foremost a personal loan and the borrower is pledging their car or their home as collateral for that loan. Now, the reason I prefer to stick with the definition of asset-based loans being loans to businesses is that the government, especially in the U S has totally different regulations based on whether you're, uh, their personal or consumer loans versus commercial or business loans. So if you plan to make a loan to your nephew or a friend and use their car as collateral, when there's a default, and it happens often, in a subsequent legal case, you can argue all you want that it was a business loan, and yet the courts will probably categorize it as a consumer loan. And trust me on this, the protections placed for consumers are so onerous you may want to write off the loan or settle out of court. This is hardly what I'd consider a sound investment, even though you had an asset as collateral for that loan. So it would be far better to insist that your nephew or friend take the loan in the name of a company and specifically state that the vehicle will be used for business purposes. Although courts and judges can be unpredictable, your defense of being a business loan will be much easier to justify. Now, there are three more aspects related to the definition of asset-based lending that I alluded to with Biltmore uh, Loan and those pawn shops, and again, pawn, P-A-W-N, which also applies to real estate. First aspect is it's important to state in the contractor agreement that the loan is based solely on the value of the asset, not on an assessment of the borrower's, think consumer, ability to repay the loan, In that case, it is solely asset-based. Incidentally, in the case of real estate, such a loan based on the asset's value is sometimes referred to as a hard money loan. The second aspect is the borrower's ability to use the asset during the term of the loan. In the case of Biltmore Loan or pawn shops, the borrower gives up their right to use the asset during the term of the loan. They hand over that asset. So repossession is not necessary as it would be with your nephew's car. So when the lender takes possession of the asset during the loan, it's also far easier to show that the loan is solely asset-based. The third aspect goes back to the pure definition. I often use my wife to help explain this. When somebody asks me how my wife is, I usually answer with a question, compared to what? So when we talk about asset-based loans and other considerations what other category might the loan fit into the other ones are either unsecured like a credit card or cash flow based which for consumers you can think of as creditworthiness. in other words you make these loans based on the borrower's ability to repay the loan from business cash flow earnings or net income and it might be their personal income if it is a personal loan Since our topic today is real estate, let's talk about how asset-based lending and all these definitional aspects apply to real estate. I'm sure you're familiar with borrowing money from a bank in the form of a mortgage loan on your home or even on an investment property, so let's start there. But don't sit on the borrower's side of the desk. I want you to walk around the desk to the banker's side of the desk. In the case of real estate loans made by banks, they would not make a loan solely based on asset value. If it's a mortgage on your home, the appraised value will be only one of many considerations. Since it's your home, it fits into the personal or consumer loan category, and banks have to consider all of the regulatory baggage, and there is a lot of it that comes with consumer loans. They will look at your income, expenses, your other assets, your personal credit score, which reflects your past payment history. In addition, they have to factor factor in the various government regulations, and guidelines on ratios such as debt-to-income. So when we go back to those definitional uh, considerations, the banks treat it as first and foremost, a personal loan. And secondly, they look at the asset backing the loan. Now, if you're fairly familiar with the various government regulations in the event of a consumer defaulting on a mortgage loan, you realize all of those other factors become irrelevant if the consumer defaults. Generally, the only recourse the bank has is to foreclose and take over the property. Despite somebody's high income or other assets, the bank can't place any claims on them. All they can do is take the property back and put a black mark on their credit report. Now, there can be another penalty to the borrower who defaults on their home mortgage. That's to be taxed on the forgiven debt if the bank incurs a loss. But that doesn't help the bank as the lender, does it? Hardly. So anyway, uh, one of the uh, particular issues that banks have is they have to look at all those criteria, but they don't help them in the event of a default. Now, the reason I went into so much detail on on that mortgage loan on your personal home is to show the additional complexity when the loan is considered a consumer loan and thus explain one of the many reasons most of us do not want to make loans to owner occupants since they're consumer loans backed by an asset. There are just too many ways for the consumer to win and the lender to lose. As an investor, I prefer the odds stacked the other way. Now, if you're a regular listener and remember our show back in May of 2013 on creating your own investment, we probably didn't focus on these aspects during that show. You see, despite all of the nonsensical government regulations in place, there are some exemptions from many of the owner's regulations when you carry a loan on a property you sell to a consumer, as long as it's not something you do as a business. Now, I just noticed I used the phrase nonsensical government regulations and then realized that's redundant. I could have said nonsensical regulations or government regulations. Both would have meant the same thing. Okay, we've covered a bank mortgage on a consumer home. Let's switch to a bank mortgage on an investment property. Interestingly, banks have set up all their processes for mortgages on residential properties to be consumer loans. So despite the advantages of making business loans, they treat them as consumer loans. I probably don't need to use the phrase nonsensical bank policies for you to notice the irony. When it's an investment property, there are some additional ratios on cash reserves the bank computes. Currently, the borrower has to have cash reserves of 2 to 6% of total investment property values, and that, that percentage depends on the number of mortgages, mortgage properties you have. Now, or not you, but the borrower. I can't resist adding another nonsensical government guideline, which is regardless of cash reserves, income, or ability to pay, you can only have bank mortgages on up to 10 properties. So if you're a billionaire, and I hope you will be, you're earning about $60 million per year despite having a DTI, and that's the debt-to-income ratio, far below 40% and cash reserves at probably 20,000% of investment property values, not the 6% required, you're only allowed to have 10 mortgages. Although it's absurd, you'll see this as an opportunity for private investors. So stay tuned. Since it is a consumer loan, albeit an investment property, banks don't have much more security or recourse than with home mortgages. Now, in some cases, they can file a legal claim against the borrower for any loss they incur, but in many cases, federal or state laws restrict claims for that deficiency. So in most cases, the bank's only recourse, just like with home loans, is to foreclose and take the property back. Now, as an investor, as a logical person, you probably wonder why banks don't make business loans on residential properties. But you have to ignore the logic. The fact is, They don't. The one rare exception is if the residential property will be used as an office for the business. Now, I wonder how many landlords stretch the truth and take advantage of this exception. I'd probably rather not ask. When we cover the five parts of a balance sheet, which I promised during this series, you'll realize that a rental property is an IGA, which I'll remind you means income generating asset. Whereas an office is an overhead expense and thus a toxic asset, just like a home or a car. Although you and I as logical investors would prefer to lend on an income-generating asset than on a toxic asset, banks prefer the opposite. Again, ignore the logic. Just a fact. Let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Narayani. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Now, if you missed some prior shows like the one on creating your own investment or our last show on turning assets to cash, or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on www.wealthdna.us. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the show, send an email to me, Ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Or you can follow The Ronald, no spaces, on Twitter or Facebook. Let's thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp, a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you and providing us examples of actual investments and their returns. Now, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to ask questions. The easiest is to start a chat in the chat window down below the radio player, or you can call in. That number is shown at the top of the screen, but it is 917-388-4162. And once you get to the show, just dial 1 to reach our producer. Our topic is asset-based lending in real estate. Now, we've covered what types of loans banks offer on residential real estate, and we can summarize it as they, pro- they provide consumer loans on owner-occupied homes with the home as collateral. They also provide consumer loans on investment properties with the property as collateral. And we've covered the business loans on residential properties. Banks only make those loans if the property will be used as an office and thus as a toxic asset. They will not if it's an income-generating asset. Go figure. And remember, when it comes to residential real estate, banks will not do loans solely based on the asset value. All of the loans they make are some combination of creditworthiness, cash flow, and asset-based. This combination of factors is one of the many reasons they can offer these loans at far lower rates than most other loans. Now, banks are major players in asset-based lending using the definition I shared, making business loans secured by collateral or assets. They will make these business loans using a variety of assets, which we'll cover in future shows, and they'll also make those business loans secured by commercial real estate. And by that, I mean office buildings, warehouses, shopping centers, hotels, hospitals, and even apartment buildings. Now, I should remind you, apartment buildings, despite people living or residing in them, are commercial properties. By definition, the residents are not owner-occupants. They rent an apartment. The owner is a company. Okay, enough about what the banksters do. Let's switch to private investors. Private investors compete with banks to offer each of these types of loans. I remind you, some private investors are companies, and most are individuals, just like you and me. Now, if competing with banks seems scary, think of the positives. If something goes wrong, banks get bailed out. so maybe we can take advantage of some of those bailouts the next time it happens. Yes, on. Just kidding. We can't count on bailouts. We have to avoid the mistakes that banks made. Now, I'm not kidding about the next time. It will happen again, and maybe within the next 15 to 20 years. The first tip I'll share is to avoid focusing on the types of loans that banks can offer at much lower rates. They can borrow from the Fed and risk-averse individuals at pitifully cheap rates. It's hard not to drift off into the other aspect we'll be covering a little later which is interest rates. Since the discussion of attractive loan types has a factor in interest rates, but I think we're better off holding interest rates for the third part of the show. The second tip I'll share is the flip side. Take advantage of the lending niches that banks ignore, especially when they're lower risk than the loans that banks make. Excuse me, banks make so let's go back to the five types of mortgage loans banks do and don't make and see which are most attractive to us as private investors or private companies. Uh, private And again, private investors, whether individuals or private companies. All right, the first is mortgages for owner-occupied homes. And you'll notice I try to use the term home when the owner lives in it versus property or house when it's an investment the banks are willing to make these loans despite the regulations. Now, granted, the number of these mortgage loans being made today are far below historical norms, as Ben Stein pointed out. But banks are still the largest player in the sector. Part of the reason they're willing to lend in these owner-occupied homes, excuse me, owner-occupied homes, is the fact that they might hold the mortgage loan for only one or two days, sometimes less before selling or assigning that mortgage to one of the many government entities. In other words, they earn the upfront fees and resell the paper quickly. It's like taking out the kitchen trash before it starts to stink up the house. Bad analogy? Maybe. Incidentally, a big reason for all of the added bureaucracy and hoops that a borrower has to go through since the Great Recession is that those government entities bore the brunt of the losses on the foreclosed properties. So they've raised the standards that banks have to meet in order for the bank to be able to sell the mortgage to these entities. Now, unless you're an investor with very special privileges, chances are you can't resell the mortgages you make on owner-occupied properties to FHA, the VA, or the evil twins, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So if you make a mortgage loan today at 35 or 4% and interest rates rise, you'll probably be stuck with that loan until the borrower sells the home, or even 30 years. Sorry, I just drifted off into that interest rate discussion, which I was planning to hold until later this show. Oh, since I did, let me add one more important point. When interest rates do rise, and they will, the value of the mortgages held by banks and those government entities or any private investors will go down in value. Now, recall the bond teeter-totter we discussed on past shows. It applies to any fixed-rate investment. And the longer the investment duration, the further out you are on that teeter-totter. So as interest rates go down... The value of mortgages goes up, but now what's going to happen? Mortgage rates will like, or interest rates will likely go up, and they will. The value of the 30-year bank uh, mortgages and government entities hold will go down in value dramatically. Did I just hear some listener say the words bailouts again? So what's the bottom line for private investors? Whether they're companies or individuals, I suggest avoiding making these mortgage loans on owner-occupied homes, with two very important exceptions. So there are two situations where you might want to consider it. As a matter of fact, you probably should consider If you're selling the property and can get a better price and or a premium interest rate by carrying the financing for the buyer. If you are, you'll certainly want to re-listen to the show on non-bank financing, Creating Your Own Investment. I mentioned that. It's back in May of 2013. The second exception is if you buy the underlying owner finance or seller finance note made by a reputable company like BI Solutions Corp. I'll share some of their examples later. In that case, they, the company, is making the payments to you, and you hold a business loan on a residential property. So even if the borrower, the buyer, the borrower from them defaults, You'll continue to collect interest from that company. Now, let's go to the second type of loan we talked about, and that's mortgages for residential investment properties. Recall, banks treat these as consumer loans and even insist that the borrower is an individual. In most cases, the only advantages of those loans over uh, owner occupied loans is that the investor or landlord is making the payments using the income from the tenant and. Only when the tenant changes every year or two does the owner have to dig into their own pocket to make mortgage payments. Obviously with a home mortgage, the owner has to make all of the payments out of their own pocket. Second um, advantage is that in the event of a default, the investor or landlord realizes they may be liable for any deficiency the uh, lender incurs, so they're less likely to default. And in the event of that default, the borrower may be liable for taxes on any forgiven debt. And when it is an investment property, the probability rises. The bottom line, I do not recommend you make these loans and compete with the banks. When it's a consumer loan and the borrower defaults, a favorite strategy used by that investor, or that borrower, excuse me, you're the investor, the borrower is to move into the property or to claim they live in the property so they can get the same protection as an owner-occupant. Now, I've talked to many different lawyers about ways to circumvent this risk. Some of them advise putting a covenant in the contract that it won't be owner-occupied. And others tell me that such a covenant could be the basis of a lawsuit that you're trying to restrict a consumer's rights to where they live. So I'll stick with my recommendation. Avoid making these consumer loans. All right, the third type of loan we talked about is mortgages to businesses on residential investment properties. And you may recall that banks only make this loan if the business will be using the residential property as an office. They will not lend to a company for the property to be used as a true investment property. This is probably the biggest, and I accent the biggest, opportunity available to private investors to do asset-based loans on residential property. You can collect as much financial information about the company's operations as you want, use the asset as collateral, and get personal guarantees from key owners of the business. Hmm, just like a bank would. Remember, I mentioned that a billionaire could not get mortgages on more than 10 residential properties, and incidentally, that 10 includes the mortgage on their own home, so a number of successful real estate investment companies rely solely on private investors like you or I for these mortgages. Now, I suspect there are at least one or two of our listeners who are shaking their heads and saying, if banks aren't willing to do these loans, they probably know something that Ron is not mentioning. So I'll avoid making those loans. For now, let me reiterate my position. This is the biggest opportunity for investors. But let's come back to this point when we talk about interest rates. All right, the fourth type of loan we talked about is based solely on asset value. And I'll remind you, banks do not make these loans at the sentence. Today, this type of loan is only available from private investors because there's no creditworthiness or cash flow assessment being made. The interest rates are significantly higher than any of the loan types we've talked about so far. Very often, you'll hear the term hard money loan used for these asset-based loans or the solely asset-based loans. The vast majority are indeed made to businesses, and even if that business is run by a single individual, the loan is generally Made to the company. Now, you may be wondering why a borrower would be willing to pay significantly higher rates, which we'll define later, rather than taking a traditional bank mortgage or a business loan on that property. The answer is simple time is money. The price the borrower needs to pay for the property is often 15 to 25 percent lower. If they can offer cash, then if they'll need one or two or three months to get a mortgage loan. And, of course, the risk, the bank, says no. A good example is an added foreclosure auction. When the bidder has to deliver the funds by 4 p.m. the next day or lose their earnest money. With a true asset-based loan, the approval and funding can be done less than a week or even in one day since the lender is just doing a valuation of the property. They don't need to collect and review financial records, kids' fingerprints, blood samples, as banks do. Okay, I'll admit I exaggerated a little bit on that one. Okay, fifth type loan: mortgages on commercial real estate. Now, this is a sector where banks are willing to lend, partially due to the large size of the loans, so the time they spend on the transaction is handsomely rewarded in fees. The other is that a number of institutional investors compete in the sector, and banks know there is a secondary market for these large performing loans. Saying that, I just mentioned a few negatives from my point of view as an individual investor. First is that banks compete in the sector, so interest rates I can charge will be lower than where they don't compete. Secondly, institutional investors compete in the sector, and that further depresses the interest rates I can charge. And third, they're large loans. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't tend to have 10, 50, or 100 million sitting in my portfolio waiting for the next great opportunity. The bottom line if you have a very large portfolio, this type of loan might be worth pursuing. In my humble opinion, you'd be much better, diversified portfolio with a higher yield by focusing on the residential sections I mentioned earlier. Now, when we talked about banks, we didn't cover land. The reason is banks' lending policies on land seem to change, along with women's fashions. Totally unpredictable. But as a private investor, I have two recommendations for you. In general, I do not suggest making loans on land, since there's no cash flow to help the borrower make the interest payments to you. This, by the way, is also true of owner-occupied properties. Now, am I saying you should never make loans against land? Well, I'd prefer you focused on the other better opportunities we talked about, but if you really want to lend on land, make sure you have a clear exit strategy. Identify who will buy this property in the event of default and make the loan at a low enough loan-to-value ratio, and I would suggest probably 50% or below to make sure there will be a buyer at that price, especially when the market is depressed. And the second recommendation I have is I do like owner-financed or seller-financed loans on land. So if you own land or become the owner via foreclosure, you'll be able to get a higher price and a uh, more attractive interest rate by offering financing. Please realize the default rate is far higher than with residential or commercial properties, but generally the dollar amount is significantly lower. So even if you only ask for 10% down and you finance 90%, you can always foreclose if they default. And chances are you'll repeat the sale process several times before your mortgage is ultimately paid off. But your basis is low enough and you keep getting down payments and interest payments. That's not a bad investment. That said lending on income-generating assets generally is a better investment. Now, before we continue, and I'm finally getting back on schedule here, in case you just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealthy and Air Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion in the archive, and you should if you missed the earlier portion. Or if you missed prior shows, you can find them on the archives as well. That archive is on www.wealthdna.us. Today we're talking about asset-based lending in real estate. Let's thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp, a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. During this section of the show, we'll share real examples of the deals their investors are involved in. And these are current deals or past deals not future deals we won't try to predict the future on some of these things if you just tuned in you'll want to go back to the beginning of the show soon after we finish the same link that you used to get here will take you to the archive our producers really make it easy for you now if uh what have we covered we've covered the types of loans banks make on real estate and the logical opportunities for private investors So now it's time to talk about the current interest rates on these various types of loans or investments. As soon as I said various loans or investments, I need to remind you that the borrower taking the loan is sitting on one side of the desk. And you as the lender or the bank as the lender is making the loan is on the other side of the desk. That's where you're sitting. You're not the borrower when we're talking about this. You are the investor or lender. You're not the borrower. When the loan transaction is consummated, the borrower adds a liability on their balance sheet, generally, of course, to buy an asset. And the lender or investor has exchanged one asset, which is cash, for a new income-generating asset, an IGA as we refer to them, and that's a mortgage loan, or more correctly, a mortgage note. It is an asset. So if you're the lender, it is an investment for you. Okay, so sometimes we think of loans and we think of that as taking the money. But keep in mind, we're flipping it around. You're on the other side of the desk. Okay, maybe the best way to organize our discussion on interest rates is use the same types of mortgage loans we talked about earlier and then share some typical rates and examples of, of rates investors with BI Solutions Company Corp. have earned or are earning. And I've been reminded that these examples are real examples of transactions done in the past. This does not guarantee that the same rates will apply in the future and that all investments involve some risk. Okay, I'd like to add two things to that disclaimer. First, knowing that interest rates are at historic lows, so rates are far more likely to rise than decrease. It's very possible that investors in the future will earn similar or even higher rates. Second, even though all investments have some risk, including those uh, guaranteed by the government, some have much lower risk than others. All of the investments uh, we cover in this section are secured by real property. They have title insurance. They have property insurance and therefore put them in a lower risk category than stocks and most bonds. Now, let's go to the first type. Again, these are the mortgages for owner-occupied homes. And I use the term home for owner-occupied When banks make these loans, you're able to find the mortgage rates they're charging on the Internet uh, for each type and duration of that financing. The most common being a 30-year fixed rate loan. Secondly, a 15-year fixed rate loan. And then there's a variety of adjustable rate mortgages. There are also one that's not talked about as often. There are also jumbo mortgages, which exceed the dollar limit set by the government-controlled entities we talked about earlier. Of the mortgages that banks make, the highest rate is generally on jumbo mortgages, and secondly, on 30-year fixed-rate mortgages. So I'll focus on those, and you'll know that the others have lower interest rates. I emphasize that jumbo mortgages are generally more expensive than 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, but recently, the rates have been very similar, and in some months, the jumbo mortgages were actually less expensive. Again logic goes out the window we're talking about banks the rate on these mortgages is typically around three and a half percent today and i don't mean look i'm looking i'm not looking at today's screen on today's calendar date. i'm talking about the mid 2016 time period and remember i do not recommend trying to compete with banks on these loans anyway i often joke that these advertised mortgage rates are theoretical rates if banks were lending, these are the rates that they would charge. And you heard Ben Stein's quote at the beginning of the show, banks are not doing a lot of lending. I don't have the actual data source here in front of me, but that reminds me there was a governmental la- uh, agency that put together the analysis, so at least there's an audit trail on the data. Well, that's if the government hasn't lost it, of course. If banks were using a normal set of underwriting criteria, And normal, by the way, is defined as prior to the 2003 to 2006 housing boom, fueled by everyone from appraisers, banks, builders, the evil twins, the government, the media, investors, consumers, mortgage brokers, title companies, and anyone else involved in real estate. Oh, and I guess I should add one important disclosure here. I didn't own any real estate in the U.S. during that time period. I was living in Europe, and I only owned my personal reference residence. But anyway, back to the data I was about to quote. If banks were using a normal set of underwriting criteria, and we define those, there would have been an additional 5.5 million mortgages made from uh, 2008 through 2015. So if any mortgage broker or bankster claims they're making as many loans now as ever, ask them if they just started working in lending in 2016. Now, during our past shows, I've um, actually congratulated banks for minimizing the numbers of loans they make while interest rates are so low. We're all certain interest rates will be far higher 10, 15, or 30 years from now. Heck, they might be 10, 15, or 30 days from now. But why not wait to make these long-term loans at higher rates? Why do banks even make a small number of loans today? Well, there are two reasons. First, they don't tend to hold those mortgages. They merely originate the loan and sell them to the various government entities and leave the interest rate risk to those government entities, which means us as taxpayers. And secondly, since risk-averse savers are willing to lend money to the bank for one year at somewhere around 0.1%, not 1%, but 0.1%, then certainly the bankster can offer Owner-occupants, home mortgages at 3.5%. That, by the way, is a very good spread historically. And I just realized our air conditioning kicked down. I wasn't supposed to do that. I guess the timer was set incorrectly. So my apologies. That noise will go away shortly if you hear this uh, fan blowing. So back to you as the private investor. If you can borrow money from the Fed or savers for such paltry interest rates, then might, 3.5% might seem attractive. At least until interest rates rise. And the market price for selling or assigning your mortgage note drops by 10 or 20 or 30%. I don't know about you, but for me, earning 3.5% and having a risk of losing 20% of my capital is not an attractive investment. Remember, I mentioned two exceptions of when it does make sense for investors to lend on owner occupied mortgages. And the first is if you're selling the property, you can get a better price and a premium interest rate by curing the financing for the buyer. What does BI Solutions Corp. charge on their owner finance mortgages? Between 7.25% and 7.99%, depending on their client's credit worthiness and the cost of the underlying financing they have on that property. So that gives you an idea there is a spread, a significant spread, between what... um, sellers will offer financing for versus what banks offer to, uh, to those buyers. Now, if you're wondering why a buyer would pay such a high rate, it usually has to do with the, their inability to get traditional bank mortgage. You may have heard of life events, like foreclosures, short sales, bankruptcies, divorces, medical emergencies, etc. Those life events really hurt a borrower's credit score. But fortunately, that credit score will recover with time and diligently paying bills each month. And incidentally, it's much easier for that buyer to refinance the home once they already own it, especially when their mortgage payment will decrease versus the rate they're currently paying. So if you did lend to them at 2%, they'll never get refinanced. Now, you may also wonder why BI Solutions doesn't charge more. And I knew you'd ask that question. Well, besides running an ethical business and being competitive, I'll also leave you with an acronym to research, H-O-E-P-A, H-O-E-P-A. And I'll give you a hint. It's an acronym for another of those government regulations. Now, as an investor selling a property, which would you prefer, earning 3.5%? or 7.5% over the next 10, 20, or 30 years. Hopefully you now understand why I see these consumer uh, asset-based loans as a good opportunity for private investors, or maybe I should say a great opportunity. Now, I'm glad I had my outline, because I almost forgot with all of that uh, side discussion there. The second exception, if you buy the underlying owner financed or seller financed note made made by a reputable company like BI Solutions Corp. So in the cases where they offer owner financing and property, they own the property with a private mortgage held by an investor, and that investor could be you. That investor is currently earning 6.5%, and the investor did not make the loan to a consumer. It's a business loan to BI Solutions Corp the loan is typically for three years, and it might get extended if the occupant doesn't refinance within three years, so 6.5% on a short-term mortgage. So, an investor holds a mortgage note made to a reputable business, which is backed by the property, by title insurance, property insurance, payments from the occupant, and payment guarantees from BI Solutions Corp. Now, one of the factors, and Really, the primary one that holds some investors from investing in these holds uh, or stops some investors from investing in these short-term minimal-risk mortgage loans is the amount of the loan. The lowest underlying loan recently made was for $35,000, but most are between $60,000 and $150,000 and some investors just don't have sufficient available capital. So we've decided to schedule the next two shows to cover another potential source of capital for these mortgages, a source that only 2% of the population knows about. And soon, that'll include you. All right, and now let's go to the second mortgage type uh, that we've been discussing, and that's the mortgages for residential investment properties. Recall, banks treat these as consumer loans and even insist the borrower is an individual. The interest rates are typically half a percent to one percent higher than owner-occupied loans, since banks view them as higher risk, which I've always thought was absurd, since investment properties should be safer. You see, in addition to the owner's income, there's also income for the property to pay the mortgage. So let's leave this as just one of those examples of bank logic. So what's the opportunity for private investors? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I do not suggest playing in the sandbox. Let's let the banks do the loans this way. What does BI Solutions do? For them, this category doesn't exist. They either make the loan assuming it will be owner-occupied, as we just talked about, and if the owner decides to rent uh, the property out, so be it. Or they treat it as a business loan on investment property, which we'll talk about next. Okay, so that the next category is indeed mortgages to businesses on residential investment properties. Recall that banks will only do this uh, uh, business loan using the residential property as an office. Now I haven't researched the recent bank rates for this, but they're generally on par with the consumer investment property loan, which is uh, currently somewhere in the four to four and a half percent range. Now the key difference on this loan versus a home mortgage is you're less likely to find a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. It'll either be a a 15-year fixed rate or a variable adjustable rate loan uh, with a a balloon payment. So if all goes well, the bank will set up a new loan or grant an extension at the the time of that balloon payment being due. Of course, it doesn't go well. That's a different story. As I mentioned, this is a big opportunity for private investors since banks don't make business loans on true investment properties. And the number of loans a company can take is limited by 10 loans that each of its individual members or shareholders will take in their personal name. Well, how about BI Solutions? It turns out we already talked about this type of loan as the underlying loan they take from prior investors on an owner finance property. It's the same terms for any investment property they own. The investor is currently earning 6.5% typically for three years, and as I mentioned, it can get extended if the occupant doesn't refinance for three years. So an investor holds a short-term mortgage note made to a reputable business, backed by the property, by title insurance, by property insurance, payments from the occupant, and payment guarantees from BI Solutions Corp. Incidentally, any loans they make on properties owned by others, This when I say they, incidentally, any loans BI Solutions makes on the properties owned by other investors will have a higher yield since it adds additional risk their motto the more risk you take the more you need to make all right fourth category of loans is mortgages solely based on asset value remember banks don't make these loans period this type of loan is only available from private investors and i already mentioned interest rates are significantly higher than any other type loan we talked about well what does higher mean I get offers for these loans from various private companies and some individuals, and there's a very broad range of what they charge their clients, and that's from 10% to 20% annually, depending on the type of property information of the loan. Now, if you're falling off the floor, trust me, they're that high, 10 to 20%. But again, this is a true asset-based loan. Generally, longer-term loans, and I'm talking general like with Treasury bills and other traditional loans, And mortgages, generally longer-term loans, have higher interest rates. Well, surprisingly, the highest interest rates on these solely asset-based loans are the shortest duration, which is six months. And incidentally, that's also the most common duration. So you wonder, who borrows for only six months? Well, it's fix-and-flip investors and those who wholesale or flip properties to other investors. Now, part of the reason the rates are higher for these short-term loans is the due diligence process required is the same, whether it's a six-month or a six-year loan. Additionally, these fix-and-flip loans are relatively high risk since the borrower has no income during the loan term, and they're actually spending a lot of money on the renovations and hoping to find a buyer at a much higher price than their total cost. So, if you decided to become a hard money lender, which does require a lending license, by the way, you can expect to earn 10 to 20% annually, at least when your money is actually being lent. So let's say you have $100,000 available. That money will be earning 0% until you find a borrower that needs $100,000 or less. If the borrower needs $150,000 when they come to you, you can't do much for them unless you partner with someone else. And we'll talk about that before the end of the show. If you find a borrower who needs $60,000, then you're earning that high rate on 60000 but 0% on the remaining 40000 So does BI Solutions offer their investors with this type of loan? Well, they actually partner with the investor, matching the client requests with investors' available funds. They then handle most of the legal administrative cash flow and tax-related aspects. They also absorb a portion of the risk and handle the legal work in the event of a borrower default. And yes, borrowers do default. The interest rates on the loans... um, are of this type are generally made, first of all, these uh, loans are generally made to accredited investors. They do not do loan pools. So just don't expect to be able to come in with $5,000 into some loan pool. They don't do that. And investors currently earn between 8 and 15%, depending on the duration and risk of the loan being made. Incidentally, due to the very high rates of uh, return, these loans are the most popular with investors who can handle the risk and thus there tend to be multiple investors interested in each deal. They do have a process for prioritizing which investor gets the deal. I can't disclose that. All right, the fifth type alone we talked about are mortgages on commercial real estate. Recall, this is a sector where the banks are willing to lend, and a number of institutional investors compete in this sector. Interest rates typically closer to 5% than 3.5% on home mortgages, plus there's a lot more negotiation on that interest rate charge than with home loans, where the only negotiation you might see on a home loan is with private investors. I don't think anyone offers a 30-year fixed rate on commercial properties. They're typically 15-year fixed rate or a variety of adjustable rate mortgages. There are probably as many different rates and terms as there are lenders offering commercial mortgages. This is only uh, an opportunity for investors, as I mentioned. Uh, It's only an opportunity for investors with very large portfolios. Even those investors should probably do 10 or 20 smaller mortgages rather than one or two large ones. It's the basic basic principle of diversification, which incidentally is also the fifth commandment for investors. Now, what does DPI Solutions Corp. do in this sector? Well, nothing. They are a residential real estate fund, and there are no plans to ever be involved in commercial real estate. They've been very successful in residential real estate, don't see a limit to their growth in residential over the next 100 years. And I understand that a 100-year horizon is longer than the typical company strategic or business plan. Okay, that leaves us one last loan type to cover on land. Oh, we are running behind schedule. I should remind Pete then, but uh, uh, Pete, we are are running a little bit behind schedule, so my apologies. We are going to overrun a little bit. The availability of bank loans on land appears to be dependent on the year, the phase of the moon, and what's new in women's fashion. So I certainly won't try to give you guidance on what interest rates banks will charge on these loans. For private investors, I already mentioned two recommendations. First, in general, I don't suggest making loans on land, and if you do, I'd suggest interest rates similar to what BI Solutions charges their owner finance deals, and that's 725 to 7.99%. The interest rate is not an important factor in it being a successful transaction. It's far more important to accurately assess the value of the land and lend 50% or less of the land value. Now, if you're lending on land that will be developed and you have uh, firm commitments that improvements will be made and the timing of those improvements, you might be tempted to say, well, I'll go a lot higher than 50% because they're going to be investing in this land. But you see, those improvements are dependent on obtaining permits and sometimes even zoning changes. So even firm commitments from the borrower can be well outside of their control. The second recommendation I had was if you already own land, then offering owner financing or seller seller financing is a good idea. So what does BI Solutions do related to land? They don't currently offer, nor are there any plans to make loans on land. The only exception is when an investor asks them for help in setting up an owner or seller finance deal on a piece of land the investor owns. Okay, so one more important aspect we should cover in this show. Should you invest in asset-based loans in real estate as an individual or as a company? Probably the correct answer for most of our listeners is yes. Now, I can already hear a few listeners saying that was an either-or question, Ron, not a yes-no question. Well, as you probably know, I'm a big fan of T. Harv Ecker's book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, which covers the 17 key wealth files each of us have in the filing cabinet in our brain. Now, even if we don't know those 17 files are there, we seldom access them. I do believe each of us has all 17, and maybe there are a few he missed. One of those wealth files, and if you're curious, It's uh, number 12, is that poor people think either or, where rich people think both. The phrases rich people and poor people are what he uses in the book. I prefer the term wealthy versus versus others. This is one of the wealth files I need to reprogram in my brain. Very often I think either or, so whenever I'm faced with an either or question like, should you invest as an individual or as a company, I'm trying to answer both. Now, as I've done throughout the show, I'll use some examples from BI Solutions investors. Very often, they start with a relatively small investment as they gain confidence in the returns and the security of the investments. They gradually increase the size and the number of the transactions, which is fine as long as the next attractive investment is smaller than the amount of funds they have available. Once they start reaching that maximum they've allocated to this type of investor or they're close to being fully invested, they ask about what alternatives there are for investing smaller amounts. Fundamentally, there is one solution that BI Solution suggests, and they always they use the term solution, not, uh, not a uh, uh, other word just because the BI Solution's name. So anyway, the solution they suggest is to invest the rest as a company. And within that solution, there are actually two different flavors, again, just to play on. Uh, the uh, the ice cream idea, either form a JV company with BI Solutions as their partner or form a company with a group of friends, family, or other investors. That company that's formed then invests in the transaction. Incidentally, by setting up the company's operating agreement with some flexibility, the partners in that company can reallocate the percentage each partner owns of that transaction. So let me share an example. And the same concept can be applied to a thousand different ways. You do this, an investor forms a JV company, a joint venture company with um, BI Solutions. With, with first of all, the investor is a partner, and one of BI Solutions Corp. subsidiaries is, is the other partner. A one hundred thousand dollar transaction comes along, but the investor only has forty thousand available. Well, BI Solutions Corp. invests the other sixty thousand into the JV company, and that JV company makes the loan. As the interest payments are received, the income is allocated 40 60 to the partner, and each will be responsible for paying the taxes on their portion. Now, let's say that three months later, that investor has accumulated an additional 15,000 from the interest on their various investments. They ask their partner, which in this case would be UBI Solutions, to sell them an additional 15% ownership in that loan then future interest income gets allocated 55 45 to the partners. Get the idea? So you can basically switch those percentages. Incidentally, in a very large uh, or very high percentage of these JV transactions, the PI solutions, the investor ultimately buys 100% of the note. And at that point, the JV company assigns the mortgage note to that investor as their sole property, sole asset. Now, there are two more important aspects of the question that I should touch on. First is from an asset protection viewpoint. Uh, is it better to invest as an individual using a trust or to use an LLC? The bottom line, each of these options have been fine. If it were a risky investment like rental properties and fix and flip, I would say use an LLC. But in this case, it really doesn't matter. These are not risky investments. Now, second um, aspect uh, that i need to talk about is if you use the funds in an ira or solo 401k to make the mortgage loans then you would not be named as the owner of the mortgage note your ira or solo 401k custodian would be named with you as the beneficiary incidentally we'll talk a lot more about that topic in the next two shows so you did if you didn't know that your ira or solo 401k could be a mortgage lender you now do Did I mention that the taxes on the interest earned is either diverted or avoided? Oh, now you know. Well, hopefully I've covered each of the important aspects of real estate being used as collateral for asset-based loans, so I'm not sure there's much in the way of a summary required, But I would like to take a minute and step back and ask an even broader question than the last one we just addressed. And and remember, the last one we addressed is, should you invest in asset-based loans in real estate as an individual or as a company? The broader question I'll pose to you is, should you invest in asset-based loans in real estate, question mark, should you invest in them? Unfortunately, I can't answer that question for each of our listeners tell you, is it's what's helped me achieve the financial holy grail. And what is that holy grail? It's having income for life. And picture this, having a company or government pension, or maybe Social Security that pays you more each year than you need to cover all of your expenses. That would be the holy grail. You wouldn't have to worry about outliving your money, since your portfolio would continue to grow or at least not decline during retirement. So how did these asset-based loans in real estate, which, by the way, we also refer to as private mortgage loans, how did they help me achieve the Holy Grail? Well, I'd refer you back to the discussion we had in March, asking if you are ready to retire. In that show, we talked about the 4% rule most financial advisors suggest on how much of your portfolio you can withdraw each year. And remember the returns, and so do go back to that show, maybe listen to that portion if you're not familiar with the 4% rule. And remember also during the show, I mentioned the returns that investors are earning in these private mortgage loans, and they range from 6.5% to 15%. So if I, and that's today's rates, again, that may be changing in the future. So if I set up my budget to not withdraw more than 4% of my portfolio, and my portfolio is growing by at least 6.5%, then I can continue to withdraw 4% of an ever-increasing portfolio each year. Now, I'll admit there is probably an astute investor or financial advisor out there saying, Ron, you're ignoring inflation. Well, on the surface, it may seem that way, but remember the range of returns I talked about are those currently being earned by investors. Have you ever experienced mortgage rates declining as inflation rises? Well, I'll let you review the last few hundred years of history on that one. But in the meantime, let me share that interest rates are correlated with inflation. So as inflation rises, I can expect the returns on my relatively short private mortgage loans to also rise. So maybe 10 years from now, I'll be earning between 75 to 16%, or even more. Granted, there are no guarantees, but I'm totally comfortable making this bet. One of the best things you can do to minimize the risk of running out of money during your retirement, tune into the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We, and that is, of course, the second and fourth Monday of each month. Regular listeners know that our objective is to share the fundamentals of investing, provide great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to help you and one million other people become millionaires. Today's show is a good example. As I mentioned in our next shows, we'll be talking about using your IRAs to invest. Whether you choose to invest in private mortgage loans, rental properties, private uh, companies, or even gold, I even... Uh, well, I certainly hope, and I say even gold, because uh, that is possible. That's one of those that's kind of borderline. you got to be careful with gold. I certainly hope Ben Stein's quote was helpful as I talked about why there's such an opportunity in these asset-based loans in real estate. The banks are not lending, at least from what I see. They were so wild and reckless back in the good times that they got burned terribly. If you missed part of today's show or you want to recommend it to some friends, the link in the announcement will take you to the archived version. And, of course, you'll also find the full list of past shows, including this one there, and that is WealthDNA.us. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, BIA Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area for helping us put together this show and a lot of help they gave us, for sure. The next wealth DNA radio show will be the fourth monday of june monday june twenty seventh nine a m arizona time same place same time we 'll be talking about your, using your retirement accounts to invest in assets that most advisors will say can 't be done so don 't rely on those misleading claims get to know the real truth on wealth DNA radio. the full lineup of uh, uh, guests and Topics is on WealthDNA.us. We'll find, you'll find the archive of past shows there, too, as I mentioned, the full. Um, so we'll, you'll find both the full lineup of, of future shows as well as those archives. Same same uh, website, WealthDNA.us. If you have comments or questions about this show or others, If you haven't received my emails reminding you about this show, send an email to ron at wealthdna.us or follow the Ronald on Facebook or Twitter. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing and becoming an asset-based lender in real estate.
0: You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.